Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, February 2nd, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star James Marino. Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, February 2nd, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star James Marino. Welcome to... T- no, I'm not going to do it again. Okay. It's, fa- it's, it's, it's Groundhog's Day, James. Oh, look at that. How did I uh, miss that? You are That's so right. confused, weren't you? You are I, so confused. Can you see your shadow? <laughs> well, it, I mean, I have to turn the lights off uh, in my office when I record because I've got a ceiling fan and it makes noise. So I turn it off. So I, there's really not a lot of shadows right now. Not even like Elena's shadow? <laughs> It'd be weird if she was down here in my office. But no, I can't see her. Although, go Bucks, uh, love, love me some Elena's shadow and Ohio State fans. Um, anyway, before we get into the news, I wanted to let you guys know in the show notes, um, I've got a link so that you can watch. Um, we've talked about this program, the Theater Accelerator, which is being um, kind of brought together as a way to... Uh, give people an opportunity to pitch theatrically related ideas to a group of industry experts, kind of Shark Tank style. One of those experts is my boss, so I'm I'm mentioning it, but we've talked about this before he was involved. The other people are Randy Zuckerberg, um, Mark Zuckerberg's sister, who's also really involved with theater. She's she was a, a cast member in um, Rock of Ages and stuff. But so Randy's going to do it. My my boss, Rob Diamond, um, Deborah Taylor Barrera, um, uh, Frank Cavanaugh, Jonathan Linden and Brissa uh, Trinchero are all going to be a part of this. You can watch the pitches live. This is just phase one. The Theater Accelerator is then going to continue, um, you know, with other phases and stuff. But I love Shark Tank and there's a podcast called The Pitch from Gimlet that is very similar that I love as well Um, so I will definitely be tuning in to watch whatever the heck happens at phase one of Theater Accelerator I don't I can't imagine what this is going to be like if it's going to be super cheesy presentations like we get on Shark Tank are they going to be more direct like on The Pitch but um, I'm looking forward to it James I really have no idea what to expect but all you have to do is say theater and Shark Tank and I was all in Hmm. Well, I will wait for the reviews on that. Let me know if I should watch this or not. <laughs> yeah, you're more of a business guy, so you actually like know real business, which I'm sure is actually nothing like Shark Tank. But Shark, you, you, I always say this. First off, you have an MBA, correct? Yeah. I always say I don't need to get an MBA because I watch Shark Tank. So maybe you um, have a little bit of an advantage on what real business is like. But to me, this is all I really know of business. So I'm in. So would you think Theater Accelerator Theater Accelerator is entertainment in itself? Or is it a glimpse into the real theater of the Broadway um, I think it is both. That's why I kind of like Shark Tank is, is that I feel like the the game of trying to get people to invest in your product is is fun and entertaining to me. But I also enjoy it because I get to learn about what goes in. I mean, and obviously, I understand it's a very, very tiny, small sliver of uh, of what these people do, but the things that are important and how to build a, a business. And while I don't claim to be an expert on anything i feel like i've learned a lot about what building a business actually sounds like just because i've i've seen enough people talk about it and i've heard the experts ask questions so i would say for the most part it's probably entertainment but there is a 10 15 percent of it where i feel like i'm actually getting something educational out of it 
All right. Well, if you get something educational out of it, as Peter Felicia <laughs> says, I'd rather you had a good time than agree with me. Yeah. All right. First up in the news, Despacito. <laughs> yes. Are you familiar with Despacito? I think my kids have introduced me to Despacito. Is that a possibility? Yes. Yes, that is. Uh, in fact, if you look down at the end of the script, that's exactly what I said. So, yeah, I, I think there's a, probably a pretty good chance you're familiar with this. Yes. Despacito singer Luis Fonsi eyed for Jesus Christ Superstar Live. Yes. Last night, the New York Post's Michael Real reported that a pair of Grammy weekend performances might have led Andrew Lloyd Webber to his next Judas. Puerto Rican-born singer Luis Fonsi uh, was not only a big hit during the awards show telecast, but also at a super swanky pre-party hosted by record exec Clive Davis. Andrew Lloyd Webber was obviously in attendance for the Grammys performance, as we saw him in the audience, but he was also at Davis's party and was apparently very taken with Fonzie's stage presence and performance ability. While I maintain that Adam Lambert is the perfect choice for Judas, Fonzie would certainly bring an excitement and cool factor to the tele telecast. And remember, because this is being presented as a concert, it wouldn't take nearly as much time to prepare. So he wouldn't have to leave touring or whatever else he's doing to prepare really hard for three months. Um, and the acting requirements would be substantially less than if it was in a full production. If Fonzie does end up being cast as Judas, he of course would be joining John Legend and Sarah Bareilles as Jesus and Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary Magdalene respectively. No word on if Daddy Yankee has the range to play Caiaphas or not, of course. Um, either way, they better get a step on solidifying their cast as the broadcast is less than two months away. It will air on NBC on Easter Sunday, April 1st. And currently, we only know three cast members, John Legend, Sarah Bareilles, and of course, the legendary Alice Cooper, whom we had to tell. I don't remember who we had to tell. I think maybe Natalie or Daniela. We had to tell Alice Cooper's a man. Um, we'll be playing King Herod. Uh, but James, I, as I said, as you said at the top, I would imagine, like you, anybody who has kids was inundated with the song Despacito throughout much of 2017. You know, this story makes me think of if uh, if uh, Luis Fonsi doesn't do it, that maybe um, they could say it. Say it. Henry do Winkler. It. Yes. Henry Winkler could do this, couldn't but that's, he? I knew that's where you were Arthur going. Arthur Fonzarelli. <laughs> the, the original hey, Fonz. Hey. The original. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I knew that's where you were going. That's so sad. <laughs> you know, you complete me. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's up in the show and casting news? Well, yesterday, the Irish Repertory Theater announced that they would present The Seafarer, starring two-time Tony winner Matthew Broderick this spring. The Seafarer, written by Connor McPherson, who also wrote Shining City, which Broderick starred in at Irish Rep in 2016. It'll be directed by Kirion O'Reilly. Performances begin on March 30th and are scheduled through May 13th. After losing yet another job, Sharky, played by not Wimbledon and U.S. Open champ Andy Murray, has returned home to Dublin to build a new, sober existence with his, cantanker his cantankerous older brother Richard, played by Colin McPhillamy, recently blinded in a drunken accident. Poor Richard. But it's Christmas Eve and the drinks are flowing as old friends convene for an annual poker game. This year, an immortal stranger from Sharky's past arrives, interesting, raising the stakes to eternal consequence. 
Tickets are on sale now. Speaking of shows with a UK bent, according to the Daily Mail's Baz Bombaboy, Jonathan Munby's production of Shakespeare's King Lear, starring Sir Ian McKellen and Sinead Cusack, will head to the Duke of York Theatre this summer for an extended 16-week run in the West End. The production, which enjoyed a successful run at the Chichester Theatre Festival, and between that and and uh, Kirian O'Reilly, I'm, I'm, I'm getting these... British names down tonight. The Chichester Theatre Festival. It'll begin performances in the West End on July 12th and all of the deals for the contracts and all the rest of the cast members are currently being finalized, according to Bama Boy. And finally, in this section on Thursday, the York Theatre announced the cast for the musicals and Mufti production of Bar Mitzvah Boy, the second show in the Jules Stein celebration year. Running from February 10th through February 18th, the show will be directed by Annette Jolis and will feature Julie Bink Ben Fankhauser, Neil Benari, Ned Eisenberg, Peyton Lusk, Tim Jerome, Casey Watkins, and Lori Wilner. With music by Stein, the show has lyrics by Don Black and a book by Jack Rosenthal as adapted by David Thompson. It is based on Rosenthal's award-winning 1976 BBC One radio play about a young Jewish Londoner who runs away from the bar mitzvah into which his parents have poured their efforts and their money. Looking at the adult world, Elliot Green doubts if he can cope with being a part of it. The show focuses on the anxious buildup to the bar mitzvah and how Elliot's family deals with his running away. And I'm sure hilariousness and calamity ensues. Ensues, complete with Benny Hill music. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's British. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so next up in the news, Concord Music acquires Tam's Whitmark. Yeah, I feel like uh, me bashing Tam's Whitmark yesterday. yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> it led directly to this. Um, they all folded because of how under they... the pressure of the Tam. Yeah, yeah, the, the Tam. Well, I am the namesake. They, yeah. uh, my nickname in college was Tam's, and they didn't like that. Yeah. Anyway, um, yesterday Concord Music announced that it had acquired the Tam's Whitmark Music Library in the company's ongoing commitment to continuing to expand its musical theater franchise. Now, in addition to Tam's Whitmark, because I have to admit, I, I don't, I don't think I'm familiar with Concord Music as a company on its own. But apparently, Concord has investments in the Rogers and Hammerstein organization, the musical company joint venture with the Really Useful Group, which those the musical company and the Really Useful Group are Andrew Lloyd Webber's companies, as well as the Marvin Hamlish theatrical legacy. So. They're really going on, and I think you know we've talked about all these things being bought out and stuff. So it, it, it they all kind of ring a bell, but it really looks like they're starting to build some kind of conglomeration that really could be a force in the musical theater industry for a while. Longtime Tams Whitmark president Sarge Aborn will continue to oversee the company's catalog of shows. Now, James, this is I mean, we talked about when. Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber back I mean, a year or so ago when he started the musical company that took a lot out of the Rodgers and Hammerstein organization because they had been the ones licensing all of his shows. Now we find out that Concord has investments in R&H and all of Andrew Lloyd Webber's stuff and Marvin Hamlish's stuff. And now they own all of Tam's Whitmark's library. Like this is becoming a major player if they're able to kind of pull all of these disparate factions together into one coherent company. So Concord also purchased Razor and Tie uh, earlier this year. What, uh, no, I'm not familiar with that. What is Razor and Tie? Razor and Tie was the distribution company that 
uh, distributed a lot of uh, Shikaboom and Ghostlight Records stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, and we know that Kurt over at Shikaboom and Ghostlight is now yeah. uh, had a big record executive uh, through the investment of, was it Universal Music Group? Or, yes. Yeah, something like um, that. <clears throat> so it's a consolidation of these industries. It's, huh, I wonder how that how that will affect the Broadway market, but uh, certainly we need Mark Hirschberg to look deeply into this. Yeah. And also, I want to know, with all of this stuff that happened with, I don't know, was it, I think it was Andrew Lloyd Webber's, you know, when he kind of merged companies, wasn't Ken Davenport supposed to do something with them? I, yeah, I, I feel Ken like Davenport was. Uh, he was like uh, heading the the U.S. A something d- d- developmental thing. Davenport. Yeah, but nothing. I haven't heard anything about it since the press release, and he might be doing stuff behind the scenes for all we know. But I mean, he's still got his own productions, and I haven't heard about him being involved with any Andrew Lloyd Webber related stuff. It just seems weird. They sent out a press release, and then a year or so later, we don't know anything new. Andrew Lloyd Webber's really useful group has announced that Ken Davenport will join the company as executive producer for North America. Effective immediately, he will report to Jessica Korovos, uh, president of Really Useful Group, and will support the UK team in overseeing the business that the Really Useful Group titles are doing on Broadway and on tour in North America. So, Really Useful on Broadway in North America, uh, you know, pretty substantial. Phantom Cats, uh, uh, School of School Rock. Of Rock. Plus uh, the other sunset, sunset things like that. Ken commented, "When one of the greatest contributors of art and musical theater asked you to look after her shows in the states, you don't just say yes; you say absolutely, without a doubt, unquestionably. When do I start? Yes, I'm honored and thrilled to be with such an extraordinary organization, steeped with Broadway and around the world. I will look forward to playing a part in the future." That was october 18th 2016 so a little bit more Almost than a year, a year and a half, half. Year, yeah year and a three months or year, year four months or so so uh sure okay <laughs> do, doing a great job um <laughs> uh and um ken had a very interesting uh column today in um in his uh producer's uh, no, perspective producer's perspective blog uh, it talked about uh, stats revealed fewer shows closed this January than in the last ten years, which I thought was I believe that interesting. Yeah. Uh, so what up with that? Well, this is this is something we've talked about before when it comes to the the real estate on Broadway. Is that there yeah. just weren't shows that closed after the first of the year? I mean, there was a handful, five or six, yeah. but so many shows decided to stay open and tough out the winter months in hopes of a good spring and into the summer. That there's really not as many openings as we would have thought. And it's nice. I know Ken T. You know Ken and his interns um, really believe in data and keep a lot of uh, good um, you know analytics and stuff. So I'm glad that they were able to put that into some sort of, uh, you know, quantifiable thing, but it, it just, it's been a weird year. I mean, we talked about this, heck, it's been a weird couple of years. I really think you can trace a lot of the weirdness back to Hamilton, but that's maybe something for a more in-depth conversation at another time. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, next up trailer released for Anna Devere Smith's, uh, notes from the field for HBO. Yeah, as we talked about before, uh, the great and really unparalleled documentarian 
playwright Anna Devere Smith um, had her show uh, uh, Notes from the Field that played both uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, the American Repertory Theater and Off-Broadway at Second Stage um, in, back in 2016, 2017. It'll be coming to HBO later this month. And they finally released the first trailer for it yesterday. And it's really cool. What this is, is Anna Devere Smith, if you're unfamiliar with how she works, she talks to people from all walks of life around a certain issue. And this one, it had to, it, it had to do with um, – schools and the criminal justice system and how those things interact um, and and how those things all kind of coalesce around the the American experience. And Notes from the Field will air on Saturday, February 24th at 8 p.m. Eastern time on HBO. And she is just I mean, she's really one of a kind, James. I mean, I'm sure there's other people that do what she does, but no one to the level that she does it at. And uh, I will be very excited. I, I don't have HBO, but I have HBO on Hulu, so I won't be able to watch it the day of, but I'll watch it the next day because this is um, a very cool thing and not an opportunity that a lot of people get to see if they aren't able to you know, be in New York or wherever else she's doing a show. That is uh, – she. she's just amazing. You know, I, I think of her uh, differently. From the West Wing. I, uh, yes, Exactly. From the West Wing, of course, West Wing Weekly this week was uh, uh, John Robin Bates' um, uh, interview, which is anybody who appreciates his work on Broadway should listen to this West Wing episode. He wrote the uh, episode where CJ's dad's got Alzheimer's. It's called the Long Goodbye oh, right. episode. Yeah, she goes uh, back. She goes back to Dayton to date, do, uh, back to Dayton to her yeah. high school reunion. Yeah. Uh, that was written by John Robin Bates, and no Aaron Sorkin input whatsoever on this. Uh, wow. And uh, it was a very good West Wing Weekly, so check out the West Wing Weekly for that. But uh, Anna Devere Smith, the the type of work that she does, like Matt said, it's in a category in its of its own. I mean, uh, you know, Mike Daisy does – similar yeah. type of things but it it it, it strikes me as a, a different animal altogether uh we ought to talk to mike daisy we ought to talk to anna if we can yeah well and mike daisy's things are more one-man show yeah. monologue driven where anna devere smith actually plays the character every character she talks to um she becomes that character man woman from the south you know from new england whatever their accents are whoever they are um, she becomes them. And it's just such a, an incredible thing. And I'm so excited that a larger audience are going to be able to or is going to be able to see what one of her performances is like. I mean, I first, you know, like I said, from the West Wing, knew her as Dr. Nancy McNally, you know, the uh, um, member of, of President Bart Billet's cabinet. I can't remember what she was military. I can't remember exactly what she was. But um you know, and then and then to know kind of all about to learn about all of this great theatrical playwriting, investigative kind of reporting that she does as well is just uh, super interesting. As so she's always been one of my favorites. We've talked about her a lot on this show, but um, just really, really compelling and interesting. Um, we don't have it in the uh, in the script, but I just wanted to say that. Uh... Broadway.news is continuing to cover the casting director's uh, lawsuit uh, in unionizing. Uh, it's a very interesting thing that I think that people ought to stay up on because it's gonna, going to affect— It's going to get ugly. It's going to get ugly, and, it, and, and the things that the casting directors do affects how 
uh, all of us in the business, um, all of us who are fans and watch shows, uh, either will affect um, casting in the short term and what's happening there. And as Matt said, I, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. But Broadway.news yeah. is staying on top of this, and we should uh, everybody should stay on top of it if you can. Yeah, what the what the most what the most recent thing is real quick is that the lawyers for the casting directors um, had asked to withhold discovery so they didn't have to invest money in trying to produce all the documents that the Broadway League wanted. That was not granted, so they have to begin discovery right away, which could cost millions of dollars. Um, it was something that they casting directors didn't want to do because uh, they wanted to try to get a little further along before they had to do that. Um, but it's something that is probably a blow to them that they didn't want to have to do and spend all that money so soon. Yeah, if they have, they're saying estimating at $4.7 million Oof. just to pull the, the documents together for this lawsuit. I mean, you lose, you lose this lawsuit and $4.7 million is going to pay for a lot of health insurance. Seriously, uh, so it's a big roll of the dice, and this is this is when the uh, uh, the big guns come out in lawsuits, and it, it's really about intimidation on both sides to see who's going to back down. Uh, anyway, all right, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter at BWB Matt, and subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for wrapping up the week with us. On Sunday, we have an action-packed uh, this week on Broadway. Oh. We do. We have we do? Uh, Michael Portantier. We have Matt Tamanini. Oh. We have uh, Jenna Tessa Fox. Uh, and a star to be named later. Oh. So uh, stay tuned. And uh, other than that, Matt and I will talk to you on Monday. Mm-hmm.